Wow, that was great. I mean, you're way faster than first service. I thought I still had some time after I said that. That's amazing. Well, good to be here with you this morning. And again, if you are uh, new with us or relatively new at the church, uh, thank you for uh, even being here and participating with an annual budget meeting. Hopefully it was better than, you know, the uh, election cycle we're seeing. There is no, it will not be a brokered convention or anything, it looks like. <laughs> okay, only funny to a couple of us. All right, good. Well, we better move on then. <laughs> Well, we have, uh, we have a lot of things going on today, and uh, so we're going to jump right into the text. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, so I invite you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6, and if you uh, prefer to use your electronic device, that is totally fine. Uh, we, we trust uh, that however you want to look into the Word works for you, we're, we're good with that. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Now we have uh, been going through the book of Ephesians for some time now, and just a really quick recap is Ephesians is Paul's explanation to followers of Christ in this city called Ephesus, his explanation of, of how it looks for them to be followers of Jesus now in their context, in a, in a city that didn't previously know Jesus, it was a very spiritual or religious city, but not a Christian or even had a foundation of the Jewish faith either. Very kind of uh, multiple gods in this part of the Greco-Roman world. So G- Paul is writing to this new group of Christians and saying this is what it looks like to live out your new identity in the world that you're in now. And he spends the first three chapters making sure they understood that this is a story, God's story that we're invited into. That it's a story about God who initiates, who loves unconditionally, and establishes his friendship with us based on his character, not ours. And so the first three chapters are all about that and understanding God's role in our lives and how it come, flows from him. Then verse, chapters 4 following, he comes very practical. It says, because of your identity, because of being established as a follower of Jesus because of what God has already done. Now, this is what it looks like when you live this out in your daily life. And so first he kind of talked about what it means to be a new creation and how we interact with one another within the church and the community of followers of Jesus. And then the last few weeks, we've been getting even more practical, even more down to earth or or day to day, I should say. And we've been calling this series Relate because it's how we relate to one another. And there's husband and wife relationships, parents and child. Uh, the next few weeks are about how we interact and relate with coworkers, whether you're the boss or a worker. And so Paul is saying, here's the most practical everyday examples that you go through. And so this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the, these contexts. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we studied how husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We looked at that and how that gives us a picture of God's love. Then last week, we looked at wives, how you can better love your husbands and respect your husbands. And so this week, uh, because last week was all about wives learning how to better love and respect their husbands, what I thought we'd do today is just do that same sermon again. And, and just so everyone gets it, I think it's... Um, <laughs> Actually, we'll continue on, and, but this week deals with those family relationships of parents and children. Now, when I say that, I know that there may be some of you in here who immediately want to check out, because perhaps you say, well, we've already raised our kids. Maybe you are saying, hey, 
I'm, I'm a single adult. I don't have kids. I don't know if I ever will have kids. If I ever get married, I don't know if I want kids. And so you think, I don't know if this applies to me. And, and so it's, we have all of this different context, but what we want to do as we look in this today is that we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God and all Scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. We believe that it has value for all of us. So what we want to do is, even if you're in a different life stage where you feel like it directly still applies to you, we can learn about the character of God and we can learn about our response as mankind because God uses our relationships and our interactions with each other daily to teach us about himself and about ourselves and our response. So it applies to all of us today. Whether your kids are grown, you'll never have them, you were never a kid or anything, it applies to all of us today. So before we jump into that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for families. I thank you for the joy um, that comes from sometimes the chaos. Um, Also, uh, pray for all of those who sometimes feel like they're in the middle of the chaos and it's hard to experience joy. God, through all of this, may we learn more about your love for us. May we learn more about our response to you. Would you help us as a church to, to grow in our own faith and grow in our own relationship and friendship with you? So we give you this time now and ask that you teach us as we look into your word. Amen. So let's open to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. And we're going to start off, and what we're going to do today is, it's kind of a casual approach to the text. We're going to just read a verse and unpack it and talk through it as we go today. So it starts off with this, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, first service, we had the youth group is usually in here sitting in that section, so I got to preach directly to them. Uh, But I see some, some... kids still scattered throughout today so parents don't keep nudging them just let them listen and let God speak but so it's it's children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right now there's a parallel passage in the book of Colossians and Ephesians and Colossians have a lot in common and in Colossians it says children obey your parents for this pleases God so the very first thing that we look at today is obedience God is calling kids to be obedient to their parents now As a teaching team, we we like to look at these, we have a a team that looks over the passages a few weeks in advance and we study it together and talk about uh, what we feel God would like us to teach. And one of the questions that came up from this is we asked the question, why is this important to God? Why does the obedience of kids please God? It's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And as we kind of looked at it and I thought about it more, I, I really think there's two, there's many reasons, but there's two very, one very practical, and we'll talk about that one first. The first thing is this, I think kids' obedience to their parents pleases God because it fits with societal norms. It's just a norm of society. In, in the time when Paul's writing, it was very normal and expected that children would be raised in a home where they have parents that they can learn from and grow from and are under the authority of those parents and so they learn to obey them. It's for their own good. It's the societal norms. Now that same is true for us today and in nearly every culture throughout the globe, you'll find that parents have responsibility to raise their kids, to train them and in areas where the kids actually do learn obedience and follow their parents that it's just, it's good for society. I was remembering a time when I was in college and I was working in, at a fine dining restaurant. 
And I used to work late at night because uh, I was in school and had two other jobs. But, so at this restaurant, I worked nights. And there was this family that would come in about once a week. And it was a husband and wife, and they had two kids, um, if you could call them that. And they were these, um, <laughs> these little, uh, I don't know, f- probably under five years old, two kids that were just crazy. And they would come in, our kitchen closed at 10 p.m., and they would come in at about 9.45 p.m. with their kids, and we had to stay open just for them. Now these two kids, the restaurant was usually pretty empty by then, and these kids would just run crazy throughout the restaurant. They just run all over the place, and we would look at them and, and just think, you know, how can they not stop these kids from running around? And we couldn't really even step in and say anything. And I remember one day, one of the kids was running through the dining room, and his toe caught the edge of a chair, and he just did full Superman across and landed on his face on the ground, and the whole staff just erupted in applause. And uh, no, no, we didn't, but just the internal joy. <laughs> I think I kind of turned around and just went like, yeah, that was great, and, and did a little prayer of thanks. Like, God, thank you that you're here in this place and that you knocked that little kid on the ground. That was awesome. Um, <laughs> but I, I looked at that moment, and, and I think, imagine if the whole world looked like that with no control, where kids just did whatever they want all the time. Think of how that would be, just the chaos. And I kind of picture this, like, oh, that's probably why it pleases God, because the world would just, I mean, could you imagine the place if it just looked like that? If the whole world was like Chuck E. Cheese, you know, everywhere you went, it's just things going crazy. I know, I know, that is a picture of hell. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so there's that very practical side. It fits with society. Now, on the spiritual side, and I think this is probably more important, is our family relationships teach us about the character of God and they teach us lessons for life. As our children learn how to obey parents and follow the instruction of parents, they're actually learning a skill that will benefit them in their spiritual life. And that skill is learning obedience to God. Learning how to follow instructions and respond to instructions. Now, of course, God's commandments and instructions are perfect. His rationale and reasoning is always right. Sometimes as parents, ours isn't. We mess that up sometimes. Sometimes our instructions aren't quite, they're just because we're tired and just because I said so is the real reason sometimes. God is not a because I said so God. The instructions of God to us are so that we can understand his character and live out his ways to others. You see, in left on our own, we need God's instructions because left on our, loan, uh, on our own, we don't get it. God has to tell us to forgive others because if we're left to figure it out on ourselves, by ourselves, and someone harms us, we're not going to forgive them. Because why, why should we? You hurt me? No, you pay for that. Left on our own, we, we, God tells us to care for the poor and the oppressed and the hurting and the broken. broken. Why does he tell us that? Because that's his character and left on our own, we're not going to do that naturally. Because we want to look out for number one, first of all. And so God's instructions are so that we can get a bigger picture of who he is and respond to his ways. Now as parents, we are teaching our kids skills for life. We want them to grow up and understand things that apply. And as they learn to obey us, they're developing that skill of learning to obey God. And trusting that those commands are good. 
we, um, in my house, we have our kids. I have three boys. And so they each have different nights of the week where they have to do the dishes. And uh, the others have to help put the food and stuff away afterwards. And we have different chores for them. Now, I often tell my kids the reason we had them is so that they could do the work. And, um, but then we quickly realized if we didn't have kids, we'd have way less work. So, you know, it, it kind of balances out, I, not in our favor, no matter what. But one of the reasons we want our kids to participate in, in doing chores and, and around the house is because we know they, when they learn to follow these instructions as they grow older, it'll benefit them in their workplace. It'll benefit them on their sports teams. Being able to take a command and say, I can do that. See, if they never learned that skill at home, then they don't have that skill on a practical side of life. We also want them to understand that commands and in in instructions in and of themselves are not evil. And so when they read instructions from God, they're good. And so kids, it pleases the Lord when children learn to obey because they're learning a skill that benefits them in all areas of life. And that family structure is one that God gives us for that. So let's continue on here. So the first one is, children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. Then he says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Honor your parents. So if you want to live long, honor your parents. I think my dad told me that quite often growing up. He would say, you know, uh, and I think Bill Cosby originally said it, but uh, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. And so um, I don't know if, okay, only my dad said that to me, but okay, different era. It's not quite talking about that, that you will live long on the earth if you honor your parents. And that side. But really he's, he's talking about um, referring to a command in Deuteronomy chapter 5. It was a commandment given to uh, the Hebrew people. Something that every Hebrew kid would have been very familiar with. So when Paul brings this up, they, they knew it well. And he says this, Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be prolonged and that they may go well with you on the land which your Lord your God gives you. Now, couple things about this. First of all, what does it mean to honor? To honor is to, uh, to place, to prize someone or to place a valuation on them. In other words, to say, I value this person. You are of great worth. So in this instruction to children, it says, children, honor your parents. Put, consider them of great value in your lives. Now, many of us in this room are beyond this, the age where we need to obey our parents. We moved out. We live on our own. Um, you know, when you're growing up, your parents say, hey, I need you home at midnight. When you move out and on your own, if your parents call you and say, hey, it's midnight, are you in? Are you in the house? Um, th- so that obedience no longer needs to apply, but honor continues. Honor is something that we do the rest of our days. To learn to highly value someone. To place value upon them and respect what they have to offer, to respect their position in our lives. And in Deuteronomy 5, when he says, do this, kids, because it will prolong your days. Now, the quick side note to this is, this is not a formula for living a long life. It's not a formula to guarantee that you will live till you're 100 years old. It's a general principle, it's a general rule, that when we learn to honor and respect those in authority, that it leads to a disciplined life that in general can lead, keep you away from situations that may shorten life. 
That's what he's saying. It's not a guaranteed promise. We know people who've been very honoring and obedient, who've, who've had tragic ends and a short lives. So this is, but this is saying, in general, there's something about a life as we learn to honor God and follow Him, or, and, follow, and honor our parents. It's for your own good in some ways. You could see it. But now, let's look at this a little more here. He says it's your first commandment with a promise. Now, it could be talking about it's a first commandment that has a promise attached to it, or it could be saying, and, and many scholars believe that this is for kids, this is of primary importance. This is one I don't want you to miss. Don't miss out on this. You've got to get this. If there's one thing you can remember, remember this. To honor your father and mother. To value them. To place a value on them. And I was thinking about this, and this to me is all about learning the art of gaining wisdom. When we honor and value someone, when we respect somebody, we want to learn from them. We want to hear what they say. We think it's important. People you don't honor, they can talk, and all you hear is the Charlie Brown parents, right? The wah, 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 wah. And I know most of our kids, that's what they hear half the time, but we want them to learn, but we want to be people who, who learn the art of gaining wisdom. I think of it this way. When I was a high school pastor, I was working with high school students, and I found myself after college uh, working with these students, and I found myself saying things like, you know, if I was in high school again, this is what I would do. Or if I were your age, I would do this. And, and I always thought most people would never want to relive their teen years. But I think if I could take what I know now and go relive my teen years, like, I'd be the coolest person in the world. I mean, it, you know, you wouldn't care about what anyone thinks. You'd, be super, you'd have all this wisdom, all this, you know, it, you'd be the most successful person ever. And so I remember always telling the high schoolers, like, man, if I could do it again, I would think this way. I would do this. And it struck me one day. When someone else during that phase of my life was, who was older than me, they were all the way in their 40s, and they were, um, they were talking to me <laughs> and saying, you know, if I was your age again and I had young kids, I would. And they had some advice. And it struck me that they really would do it this way because they've been there. They've lived through the experience. They've gained the wisdom. So why wouldn't I honor what they say, honor their position and listen to that and learn from it? And someone who's even older and says, hey, you know, think of this about life. This is what matters. It's the art of gaining wisdom. And I know that experience is the best teacher, right? When you go through and you fail, you learn a lot. But why not learn from the experience of others too? Learn from others' failures. Skip that step. It's okay. I think when we talk about honoring our parents, when we value and place a value upon them. And let's extend it to not just your parents, but those older in your life. Those who have that mentoring role or even just some sort of parental role, grandparent role in your life. When we honor them, maybe those in the church, we have plenty of scriptures that says, honor the elderly. The reason is, we earn, it's learning the art of gaining wisdom. Learn from them. Respect it. It's important lessons for life. When we learn uh, the art of gaining wisdom and the importance of self-control, it comes with benefits that extend to all areas of life. And think of the contrary. If we never value others, never learn from them, you have to do it all on your own. The opposite. It leads to a pretty difficult life, time and time again. Now one more thing for kids, I'm almost done with you, <laughs> is something about honor, it's not just something we say either. When, when God speaks about needing to honor him, in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, 
God speaks to the prophet Isaiah and says this. The Lord says, Because the people draw near to me with their words, they honor me with their lips, but they remove their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. See, God doesn't want us to be people who learn honor just in our words, but it's something that's heartfelt. And now notice this about honor. Honoring our parents. It's teaching us this other great skill of learning to honor and revere God. We're living in a world where people have lost that reverence and honor of God. Where we think we can do it on our own, yet God's just another of many, many voices out there. You can approach him casually. You can just say, whatever. God is good advice. Sure, it's good advice from Jesus. Put it on the same shelf as Confucius. Great. No, he's saying learn the art of honoring God. Place a value upon his words and his ways. Trust who he is. Let's not lose that as people and that value. So as kids learn to obey and honor, they're learning how they can respond to God. And most importantly, this is what you learn. What your kids will learn and what you might be learning. You learn that life is not rotating around you. That you're part of a bigger story. Now, there's never been a kid or teenager in the world who's thought life rotated around them. But if ever that should happen, (laughs) when we learn obedience and honor, it teaches us that we're part of a bigger story. It's such a big deal to God because we don't want to grow up as selfish people thinking that the earth rotates around us we don't want our kids to learn that they already think it so okay parents kids are you ready for me to talk about your parents for a little while no not even listening man now you can start listening no, all right here we go so parents we have a responsibility in this we have the greatest responsibility in this let's look at the next verse fathers And and this, it it is saying fathers, but we're going to say this applies to parents. It's for all of you. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Again, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, the parallel passage, it says, Parents, do not exasperate your children and cause them to lose heart. Don't lead them, don't... Raise your kids in a way where they just lose hearts, where they kind of give up. So parents, what we're going to learn here is the way that we raise our kids, this is also going to teach us something about God. It's going to make us face the question, can we trust that God is in control of their lives? Can we trust that his narrative for the lives of our kids is better than any narrative we could come up with on our own? And that's difficult because I've got a really good life story for my kids. (laughs) But the way we raise them, what we teach them, is actually teaching us and helping us face our belief about God. Do we trust? Can we honor what he has for our kids? So, The instruction here, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. Don't exasperate them. Don't cause them to lose heart. Now, I don't have time this morning to do a whole parenting seminar. And as I told you, I have three boys, um, aged from 16 down to 8 years old. And I always felt like, you know, I can learn about parenting and I can get some good advice. But you kind of want to see, like, how the kids turn out before you can really give good parenting advice. 
And, and so I don't feel like I can do a full seminar because I'm not sure if what I'm doing works yet. You got to see. <laughs> I had a friend who, I kid you not, he wrote a book about raising teenagers before he had any children at all. And I was like, what publisher would ever let you do that? That's ridiculous. That's like a, a parent who only has one kid writing a parenting book. It doesn't count with one. So <laughs> don't mean to offend any of you if you only have one. You already voted, right? So it's all done. So good. <laughs> Yeah, so, I, I, so in other words, I don't have time to get into nuts and bolts of how to parent, but I do want to use this as an opportunity. On June 5th, uh, Pastor Dale and Becky are leading a parenting seminar, so they'll be for the second hour, so you have the whole time in, in the cafe at the 1045 service, during this service. So if some of you are saying, I would love just a little more advice and some practical nuts and bolts of how to raise my kids, I recommend you go to that. And here's one thing about Dale and Becky is they also raised three kids. They're all three grown adults now. And I personally know all three of their, their kids. I've known them for years. And they all have healthy marriages, really great grandkids, model of people who follow Jesus and love Jesus. And if you want to get some good parenting nuts and bolts, Dale and Becky, they, the proof is in the pudding. Their kids turned out. <laughs> so I recommend you go and listen to them on June 5th. And, and I mean that. I, I really, if my kids, my three boys can turn out the way their kids turned out, I would count myself blessed and honored. So if you're looking for some advice, it's June 5th. You can drop in um, on the second service to that. So with that said, I do have some practical things, though, uh, that work. And, and so let me just give you a few practical things without making it into a parenting seminar. And this is for those of you uh, who maybe one day will have kids. And for those of you who already had your kids and raised them, you can look back and say, did that, did that, didn't do that. You know, that's fine. Um, let's look at this. So how can we cause our kids to lose heart? So we're going to go on the negative route here. What are things that we can do to cause our kids to lose heart? First one is this, be unreasonable. Ask them to do things that they don't know how to do or that they are unable to do. Be unreasonable. Keep asking them to do things that they say, I, I'm trying, and don't let that be enough. They're going, they're going to lose heart. You know, some of our kids cannot get A's in every class. They just can't. You want them to lose heart? Expect them to do something they can't do. Say, that's not good enough for me. You've got to get an A. Sometimes they just can't, and that's okay. I think of it when I coach baseball. I have some kids, they just cannot hit. They can't. <laughs> I've tried very hard. I've tried. I've told them just get hit by the ball. Do whatever you got to do to get on base. Just don't swing because it's not going to work. <laughs> if I got angry with them because I can't hit the ball, I mean, they just can't. <laughs> All right, move on. All right. <laughs> oh, be unpredictable. Another way to make your kids lose heart. Be unpredictable. Change the rules on them. Make a consequence here next, and the next time double it or shrink it. Change your rules. Have your expectations fluctuate. Just do whatever. Just don't even have any structure. Just keep going. Change your rules all the time. It's great. They'll lose heart. Uh, next one is this. Be a bad role model. Use the do what I say, not as I do form of parenting. You know, when I worked in youth ministry, there's so many times when I would have kids come to me and say, my parents are telling me that I can't do this, but they do it. They do it all the time, so why, why should I listen? You know, that puts your youth pastor in a very bad situation. <laughs> when you go, ah, uh, I don't know. 
Yeah, so be a bad role model. They'll lose heart when you want them to be that someone that you are not. Next is this, show favoritism. And this only applies if you have more than one. Uh, so <laughs> show favoritism to your kids. Or I guess if you only have one, like the neighbor kid more, I, I guess. <laughs> and let them know that you have favorites. Uh, next one, be unrelenting. In, in other words, just keep going at them over and over again over the same stuff. Don't, just don't let it go. Just keep going at them. You want them to lose heart? I think of this, and in, in I, I, this to me has a lot to do with bedroom floors and toys and clothes and things from outside and rocks and, you know, crickets and stuff on bedroom floors. I have, none of my kids are, you know, the model of cleanliness, but they have different levels of, of order and it definitely, they're very different. And one of them is a super creative mind and he, his floor is just always covered with Legos and with stuff and things he found outside and contraptions and, and appliances that he took apart and just all kinds of things on his floor. And we, you know, every once in a while it's like, okay, today we've got to clean this thing. And now my mom, growing up, my mom was a little bit of a clean freak. And she used to say like, I can't even walk in your room, which was always an exaggeration. Any of you moms ever say that or dads? I can't even walk in your room. Okay, yeah. Um, with this, one of my kids, it's true. <laughs> And sometimes I say, I can't even walk in your room. He goes, Dad, you can too. I'll make a path. Like he'll <laughs> now, there are times when I need him to clean it up, and I'll go in there and we'll help and we'll do it. But honestly, I think his mind, the way it works, just likes that. And it's this creative little mind that's just doing stuff and building things. And, and it's all his contraptions. And I think, if I'm relentless and every day going, clean your floor, clean your floor, clean your room, Tuck in your shirt. Don't touch your food. Do this. Do, and it's always, 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 he's going to lose heart. He's going to lose some of that joy and wonder that comes prepackaged in every kid. He's going to lose heart. It's really not about bedroom floors. It's not the most important thing. So be unrelenting. Keep going at him. Next one is this. Be absent. And I know this is tough and it's difficult and some of you travel and some of you work long hours. Do what you can to not be absent. Show up at events. Maybe it means you've got to use technology if you're you're traveling. Skype in, say goodnight, whatever it means. Try to be present. Um, The next one is this, to lose heart. Be busy all the time. And I'm not talking about you be busy. I'm talking about your family. You want your kids to lose heart? Overschedule their lives. Now, no one in Southern California has ever done this with their kids, but... Try to have them always scheduled. Have, you know, three sports going at a time, then chess club, then piano lessons, then violin, and then homework. And that's Monday. That's just Monday. And that is so true of our culture. We want to overschedule everything. Even this, like, play dates. We didn't even have play dates when we were kids. It was called going to hang out with your friend, right? It's called go outside after school. But we need to overschedule everything. So make it so your kids don't have time to be kid if you want them to lose heart. Keep them so busy that they're just as stressed out as you are. You've got to fight against culture on this one. Let your kids be kids every once in a while. Open up the schedule. Sit on the floor with them. Go grab an ice cream cone. Skip something you signed them up for. Don't be busy all the time. One more thing for lose, help your kids lose heart is this. Don't build a relationship with them. 
Just treat them as your little employees. Now, with my kids, I, I, I've said, you know, often we tell our kids we had you so that you can do the work, but they're really not our employees. They're our kids. If we don't build a relationship, a friendship with our kids, they're going to lose heart. The other day I came home from work and it was one of my busy days where I actually had meetings up until like 5 and then I had another one at 5.45. And I live close, so I said, I'm going to run home for 45 minutes, hang out. And I got home and my 8-year-old, he, this, is, this is exactly how the sentence went. Hi, Dad, can I go on the roof? <laughs> that's how I was greeted. Now, that's not a super weird question in my house, but... Um, <laughs> It was, a, it was an interesting way to be greeted. And my first response in my mind was like, no, you can't go. Like, of course not. Why, why would you go on the roof? But I didn't say anything. I just kind of stared at him for a moment. And I was thinking, well, I've got to do a parenting talk this week. So let's see the... <laughs> and I looked and he was holding a paper airplane. He goes, I want to see how far I can throw it from the roof. And I thought, yeah, let's go on the roof. It's a great idea. It is a good idea. If you ever throw a paper airplane, it's way better from the roof. I mean, that was actually pretty smart. And, and, and so I said, just go up there. Let me know when you're done. No, I didn't. I, I mean, <laughs> so, you know, we put the ladder out and, they, he, and his older brother came out and they climbed up on the roof and they were making paper airplanes and, and they wanted to see how far they could go. And then round two was who can do the tricks and which one was. And so it was like became this big competition as they're sitting up on the roof and and, and throwing airplanes off and having a good time. And, you know, my kids, I have three boys. They love rooftops. Every t- it's when we're putting up Christmas lights, they're like, can we go on the roof? It's, you know, the ball got stuck on the roof. Can we go up there? And all three of them have to go up there to get the ball. Um, we we'll go on vacation and have the RV, and they want to lay on the roof and look at the stars. And I realize there's something about rooftops with us is that those are times when real conversations happen when they're actually learning about things way more important than the bedroom floors being clean. We have these friendships and this conversation and and there's this wonder about God and I think even our boys learn that there's adventure in life. That the rooftop is better than the ground. And if I want my kids to grow up believing that God has created this wonderful world and it's not a boring, mundane, sterile world because they're going to learn that soon enough, I want them to know that God has revealed this wonderful thing and there's tons of adventure and excitement and it's found in following Christ. And those times on the rooftops when we can build that relationship, that friendship, are far better than worrying about those clean floors. So let's look at our kids and find ways to build friendships with them. We used to schedule monthly date dates with each of our kids. My wife would take one, I'd take the other, and just figure it out. Just go. Do something. We need to get, keep moving here. Um, finally, he ends with this. He says, so don't provoke your kids to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I think this is the most important part here. See, Paul ends this section, and he basically says, focus on the things that actually matter. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Help your kids be raised understanding who God is and how to follow Him. You see, Paul didn't say, and if you do these things, you'll make sure your kids end up with great grades, they'll get into a great school, they'll end up with a great spouse, they'll have an amazing job, they'll live in a a gated community in the suburbs, 
They'll have a golden retriever. They'll have everything that life is intended to have. And, and it'll be safe and it'll be comfortable. And they never will experience pain or hardship. This is, what you, this is a goal for life. See, Paul doesn't say that at all. He says, train them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Help your kids understand the adventure in life of following God. That's the most important thing. And it's so easy as parents to fall into, well, I need you in a good school so you get a good scholarship. And that's, those aren't bad things. Having a good job, that's not a bad thing. But of primary importance for the parents is can your kids grow up understanding how to follow God and love Him? One way to think of it is this, is the most important thing for us as parents is to help our kids be released to be all that God wants them to be. To understand what it looks like to live a life of service of others and service of the King. Let's raise our kids up knowing Jesus. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14-17. through 17. I have it on the screen for you. He's writing to Timothy and he says, You, Timothy, continue in the things that you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. And that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you life and wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that every man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. See, Paul says, raise your kids up, understanding the scripture, understanding the ways of the Lord, how to follow him. Let the other things take care of themselves. Do we want our kids to work on grades and work on the way they behave and learn? Yes. But most important, do you follow Jesus? And you know what I hate about this? Is if my kids do this, this might mean that they end up serving somebody in a jungle in Congo. And my grandkids will be on the other side of the world. I hate that. It might mean that they feel called to teach English in inner city L.A., and they never end up living in a nice suburban house. You might be called to serve the poor in rural Iowa. <laughs> I hate that. I want them called to live next to me. Because they, they, let's just be honest, they're going to be the best grandkids in the world. <laughs> but really, in the end of my days... If I'm looking my kids in the eyes and they say, I serve the Lord because you taught me that life was about adventure of following God, that there's something bigger out there. And so I did that, Dad. I just don't think I'm going to say, yeah, but you should have had a bigger house. Not. Are we focusing on the right things with our kids? I'm going to ask the worship team to start making their way up here. Now, as we close, for those of us who still have kids, and we're raising them, or those who maybe one day will. The question for you, is it going to be about bedroom floors or rooftops? Is it about a life of adventure or following Christ? Or about just the skills to get through and to look good in the eyes of the world? Some of you have already raised your kids, and I understand that this morning might bring up some feelings of guilt and even regret. You might say, dang it, we did not do this right. And you wish you could go back. And the great news is this, is that none of us will be perfect parents. None of us do this perfectly. My wife and I are 
fumbling through trying to figure out how to raise our boys in a way that they can follow Jesus. We don't know if we're doing it perfectly. I know we're not doing it perfectly. Some of you, you look back and say, man, I do it different. We get it. God gets it. One thing we learn about our God is he is the only good father. He's the only perfect one. He gives us a model of what it means to be reasonable all the time, to to know what's best for us all the time, to love us unconditionally all the time, to forgive us all the time, to never lose his cool and be unreasonable. God's the only example. So we all fall short. Your parents fell short. But God never falls short on us. And he doesn't expect you to be perfect for your kids. So let's be people of prayer. Let's be people who love our kids. Let's go to God and beg and ask that he would have them in his hands. And let's learn to trust that he knows what's best. Let's ask forgiveness where we need to. And let's know that your God, when he looks at you, is the good father who cares about you more than any. And even in your imperfections and failures, he's reaching out to you today saying, but I won't let you go. You're still in my arms and it's okay. So as we respond to God in, in prayer here with this last song, or in worship with this last song, let's just be people who are open to what God's teaching us right now. We're trusting of what he's doing in this place.